0: Hello and welcome to episode number 85 of the Hobbies and Happiness podcast, where we talk about the hobby that makes us happy tabletop gaming. I'm one of your hosts, Dan. And I'm Jim. And today we're talking
1: with Not Tanning Grace.
0: Yes, today on the podcast, we are talking to Not Tanning Grace, better known as Derek. Charmer Oswald. Yeah, I forgot what he's looked like. I'm just <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into the episode, Spoilers. before we get into the episode, let's talk about our sponsor, Amazon Audible. If you head over to our affiliate link, www.audibletrial.com forward slash hobbies and happiness, you can find a. You <laughs> follow that link. <laughs>
1: You can find a follow button too.
0: If you follow that link, you can sign up for a free 30 day trial of Amazon Audible Dan. service. All right, so you follow that link. If you can find it, you can find
1: guys. Keeping- hit stuff. Hit stuff. Go get Audible. You get. You get some credit. You get a free credit. If you got Amazon Prime, you get two credit, okay? You can cancel anytime within 30 days. Make it happen. They won't bill you. You know, it's it's great and you get to keep those books. Handle the damn.
0: And this is why we have a lot of fun on our podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So, anyway, like Jim was saying, if you follow that link, you can sign up for your free thirty day trial of Amazon's mm-hmm. Audible service. You get a free credit added to your account. If you like audiobooks, you can sign up, get that free credit. Amazon Prime, you get two free credits. You can cancel before the end of thirty days.
1: You just we just said the same thing. I know,
0: I know. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Woo! Oh, that's good. All right, so let's good. let's get into it. Right. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, today on the podcast, we're talking to Derek Oswalt Charmer, mm-hmm. better known as not Tane and Grace. Not Dan and Grace. <laughs> so when we talked to Matt DeMarco last week, we told him we were talking to Derek and he was like, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to call him <laughs> Tane and Grace. And so, uh, well, Derek tells you about it here in the episode. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Let's just get out of the way and let's let's get right into the talk. All right, today we are joined by Derek Oswald, better known as Charmer within the community. Uh, Derek is a fellow card game content creator. He's a host of the Flesh and Blood podcast called Flesh and Pod. Also, he is a card game and esports caster for games such as Flesh and, Flesh and Blood, Elder Scrolls Legend, Legends of Ruterra, Artifact, and Team Fight Tactics. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, sir?
2: I am doing as well as I can be at the end of a long day, I'll be honest. It has been a a trying week, (laughs) uh, a trying day. Speaking of casting, I was literally casting prior to this. I skipped my dinner to do a bit of Flesh and Blood (laughs) casting for uh, a game that's not yet published. So pay attention this weekend if you're following Flesh and Blood. Um, I'm on a couple of the Goliath Gauntlet matches that are currently going, but... Yeah, I'm I'm doing well. It's this is a great way for me to kind of like wind down my night and talk about cards, which is something that I love, so I can relax awesome. now.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know what? <laughs> it's it's always great when, when when our guests can just relax and chill and just, you know, have have a good time just talking cards. So, um Charmer, you know what? The first time I came across your content was when I was playing Elder Scrolls Legends. Man, I, I kind of miss that game. What about you?
2: <laughs> I definitely miss it, mostly because I miss the community and I miss a lot of the people that worked on the game that I interacted mm-hmm. with. Yeah. I had a lot of great memories from, you know, talking and working with people like Josh Layton, who's also known as Raptor. A lot of folks know him mm-hmm. from Magic, but he worked on The Elder Scrolls Legends and was on one of our Master Series broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And people like my old podcast partner, Justin Larson, who I still talk with Uh, very frequently Uh, we're Mm -hmm. both big Marvel snap guys now so that's usually what we're talking about but Mm -hmm. a lot of it is just the community and I I was blessed enough that a lot of those folks followed me to other games so Mm -hmm. I've worked with Silver Fuse again uh, for example on Legends of Runeterra and I got to work with um, uh, Lasergician for a short Mm -hmm. bit on uh, Mythgard for you know, I, again, more card games that you can add to the list. I've I've covered a lot of things, so sometimes it's hard for me to remember if I don't go back and look. I actually keep a spreadsheet right. of the stuff I've done because I I would forget otherwise. But yeah, I right. I definitely miss it. But if anything, I miss it the most because it was just a wonderful group of people overall. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I I'm I'm getting. I'm getting some in my ear. I'm sorry. We, we do not have charmer. We have tannin grace. Is that? Yeah. Is that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's part of a an now ongoing joke that stems from a number of things. It actually begins with me being what I describe as forgettable. Um, when I was very young, I was very quiet in class and it started even then I, I actually had to go in and defend myself once because I had uh, the school call my parents and they were like, hey, your son skipped school. Like you, you got a truancy issue. And I was like, no, I was there. And they were like, no, your teacher says you weren't. And we did this back and forth. And I had to go in with my mom. And the only reason that I was able to even prove that I was there was I had turned in homework that day. Like I handed it in, <laughs> but I'm just really quiet. So people forget that I'm there sometimes, um, which also sounds weird because I do content stuff. But in my personal life, I'm usually pretty quiet. So That started it. And then it started kind of progressing into this thing where I would meet people. And then when I would re-meet them, I'd be like, hey, I remember you from such and such. And they're like, I've never met you in my life. And I'm like, no, we did. (laughs) And so I, I was telling Logan the first time that I met him at a flesh and blood event. Logan, by the way, if you're not familiar, he's who I do the Flesh and Pod podcast with. I was telling him this and he didn't believe me. He was like, there's no way you're just down on yourself. There's no way people forget you. And then that night I had somebody ask me who I was. And this was after I had (laughs) casted at the event and introduced (laughs) myself to them and they didn't know. Then, you know, fast forward to uh, even just this most recent calling event in Indianapolis that Logan and I were at, we're standing next to each other. And Logan and I, I I will just describe it as we don't look alike. I'll put it that way. Um, Somebody walks up, we're standing next to each other, reaches their hand out to shake Logan's hand and he because Logan's wearing a Flesh and Pod jersey and he goes, hey, Charmer, I just wanted to tell you that I love the podcast. And it was completely like unironic. It wasn't part of the joke. And so Logan was like, uh, that's Charmer. And so the reason that the the Tan and Grace thing popped up is because I've been making these jokes about how nobody knows who I am. And even when they do know me, they they get my name wrong. That's the other thing. I've been called Charmander a lot, Charger a lot. Um, one of the developers of Legends of Runeterra, uh, I was at a dinner in LA. I'd went out for a riot event. And so we were all having dinner together. And somebody said Charmer across the table. And so uh, Steve leans over and he goes, you know, I just want you to know that, like, I've known who you are for like two years between Twitter and and content and stuff, but I've always read your name as Chamber. So like in his head, I was Chamber for two years. (laughs) So um, Tannen gets wind of this or whatever, and it's the ongoing joke. And finally, at Worlds for Flesh and Blood, um, somebody approached him and said, hey, Charmer. I loved you on the Realm broadcast, and so like he he's messaging me on Discord. He's like, "Hey man, somebody just walked up to me and called me Charmer," and I was like, "You're pulling my leg." He's like, "No, I swear to God." So that's where the Tan and Grace thing comes in. Is now we are kind of interchangeable, and even more recently on the Instant Speed podcast done by my good friend uh, Matt DeMarco, aka Flake, uh, he did a segment where he asks a guest who had just met me at Indy, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that weekend, he asks Mm -hmm. a guest, hey, can you tell me which one is Charmer? And he puts up a picture of me and Tannen Grace, and the guy gets it wrong. And it's going to be a recurring (laughs) thing. We've both sent him some photos. It's going to be a good time. So at this point, I just kind of play into it. So that's the Uh, long-winded way of explaining the joke. But I, I just don't want folks who don't know who Tannen is or don't know the history to not be in on it because it's actually quite funny i'm not offended by it it it's happened to me my entire life you know
1: what that kind of reminds me of dan you
2: what? know uh at the office when they're like
1: <laughs> corporate wants you to point out the difference in these two pictures that, that
0: was the meme that was the meme and that and i and that went around the same picture a few yeah. times yeah it's the same picture <laughs> <laughs> no. So we, we just had Matt on the podcast and, and towards the end, he, I told him that we were going to have you on and he's like, Oh, you need to call him Tane and grace. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and so if I can find that clip where he asked Jacob, cause that uh, who you're referencing was when he talked to Jacob Bertrand I'll yes, have to see if we can from, find uh, that, clip that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'll have to see if I can find that. And we can uh, try and put that in the description for those <laughs> who haven't seen that. So Always. It's always a blast. Um, So, so Derek, can you, can you let us know, um, like, how did you get involved and get started with, with card games? Can you kind of give us your, your history and your backstory um, in the card game and TCG space?
2: Yeah. So the, the way I got involved with card games just in general was uh, I learned how to count playing cards. When, (laughs) when I was four years old, my grandparents used to play euchre a lot and uh-huh. so they taught me how to count to 10 by letting me keep score and I, I was of course just happy to be part of the process and uh-huh. and so then yeah. well, by the time I was like 5 or 6 they had taught me how to play euchre and blackjack and I thought you meant uh, other so, counting cards yeah well <laughs> I mean I eventually we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> As somebody who used to play a lot of uh, the Star Wars, Decipher, TCG, I know how to count mm-hmm. cards because I played <laughs> Jedi Training. But anyway, um, yeah, so I, I started with you know traditional you know, 52 cards, deck of cards, style card games, a lot of poker, things like that. And then when uh, you know I was, I don't remember if I was eight or nine because I can't remember if it was before or after the birthday. But basically in 1994, uh, I found magic uh, as a kid and... I I played a little bit of it, and I liked it, but it didn't really interest me quite yet because I didn't have the same attachment to the intellectual property because at that age, I hadn't read a lot of like high fantasy that you would normally use to get into Magic. And I tried some of the other games at the time as well. Like I played <clears throat> a little bit of Wyvern and whatever, but mm-hmm. what really got me to dive into card games uh, was also during the early 90s, there was a card game called Marvel Overpower, now, a lot of people remember the Versus system, but there was a Marvel Overpower. that was a trading card game, and I had been reading a bunch of comics at that age. So I got into that, and I was like, wow, trading card games are kind of cool because this was kind of pre the Pokemon boom, definitely mm-hmm. before Yu-Gi-Oh at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I started playing Marvel Overpower, when I would go back, then I would be like, okay, well, I'll give Magic another try. And mm-hmm. then it, it was just all downhill from there. I fell in love with Magic, and then I fell in love with pretty much every other card game that's come out. When I think about the the number of card games I've played, especially in those, you know, late 90s, early aughts, when it felt like there was a new game coming out every week, it's kind of astronomical. I played all the Decipher stuff. So like Star Trek, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings has a very special place in my heart. Um, but I played a bunch of the weird ones too. You know, I was playing... Um, was like Mech Warrior and uh there was an Alien versus Predator card game that I actually really liked that was like location based and the e- each faction had different win conditions and there was uh Harry Potter, Pokemon. Actually I think some people forget Harry Potter even had a card game but they did. <laughs> yeah, uh they games did. like The Spoils um uh-huh. like I said I mentioned uh playing Wyvern, you know, before they were essentially given hush money to never pretend like they ever existed. Uh but I also played games like Rage uh, the the werewolf game where you have like a group of werewolves that battle each other. I mean, like I said, you can think of it and I probably tried it, Dragon Ball Z, et cetera. And I just, every time, if it was a card game or it was a strategy game. So the other games uh, that I fell in love with were anything tabletop tactical. So uh, Mage Knight, I was really big into Hero Clicks for a bit. All of that stuff, it, w- it, was, um, it was just right up my alley. And I've just continued mm-hmm. to do it ever since, really.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so,
2: so, um, you still do you still play magic then? Uh, I do, but very casually. I actually don't own any okay. magic cards. Um, I sold the vast majority of my magic collection when I got married, which was also many moons ago. Uh, but mm-hmm. I was doing that to like pay for the wedding and get ready to buy a house and all right. that. And so right. Right. when I sold the majority of it, Everything that wasn't uh, high priced items because like at the time, you know, I had power. I had to play sets of duels. I had all that jazz. So I sold all that. And then all of the rest of the like playable bulks I gave to a friend of mine named Adam who has like a vault. And so he, mm-hmm. when I say a vault, I mean, he has like temperature controlled room in his house that has its own insurance <laughs> rider. He has play sets of everything, whatever. But he made a deal oh, with me wow. because my favorite way to play Magic anyway is limited. And it was, you can play... Anytime you want, you just ask me for a deck, I'll let you borrow it. And anytime you want to go to a limited event, uh, he pays for my buy-in and then any prizes I win, I give right back to him. So like I can play whenever I want. And I've got friends that do like cubes (sighs) and you know, Mm -hmm. they'll have commander decks lying around or whatever. So I'll play it casually, but it is Mm -hmm. very far from my focus now. I'm much more into some of the other card games on the market now.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, as, as a Magic player, um, I, I know Jim I know Jim has a question he, he likes to ask people who play Magic. So go, take it away, Jim. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Now, I've said it once. I'll say it a thousand times. Uh-huh. Depending on how you answer this <laughs> mm-hmm. it will dictate the rest of the conversation. Okay? Sure. So when playing Magic, mm-hmm. what was your favorite color, either single or duo, or we can even go triple.
2: And so this is an interesting answer. I've played magic for so long that right. it has changed depending on my age. Okay. So there was a very long time where my absolute favorite color was blue uh because everybody likes to say no and play control magic at some point right they uh-huh. just like yep. in pain yep <laughs> um <laughs> and i think one of my favorite decks of all time to play in standard in my brain it's always going to be type two but my one of my favorite decks to play in standard was during uh the time when Dragonstorm was in standard and that was just a blast to pilot um, getting the Hell Kites out for 20, comboing off. It wasn't something <laughs> yeah. you got to do in standard often. So I, I just really relished that. Okay. But over time, I ended up kind of like, I'll still play blue, but I kind of ended up gravitating toward white just because it's one of the colors that breaks the pie the most. And so I felt like investing in that meant that I could play whatever I wanted at some point, right? So whether it was, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to play aggro, there's usually some version of like White Weenie that's available. Or if you want to play Control, you can, you know, pair it with blue in most formats and then make something work. Or if you wanted to, you know, just play Timmy Big Beats, then you can play like a, you know, Celestnia style deck, whatever. Like White just... Mm -hmm never really felt bad pairing it I mean, even when uh the enemy colors weren't a thing you could still pair white and red because you could still run savannah lines and lightning bolts and then eventually we got boros and it became a, a dedicated archetype anyway right so uh mm-hmm. as i aged i was just like hey white's really flexible and so i, I usually start there
0: i like that answer well, yeah, Jim is, is, I was going to say, is that honestly, an acceptable
1: answer to you, Jim? Honestly, that has been the best answer so far, Dan. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. It's it like, has. I have been here so long. My <laughs> answer has evolved just like this game. And it, and it, and it goes to show the only constant is change. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hundred
0: percent. hundred percent. Change is the
1: only constant.
0: Yeah. So, you know, uh, charmer s- since you've been in this space for the amount of time that you have you've you've seen kind of the the space and the industry change and shift and evolve over time where do you think the tcg uh, industry in particular I normally I like to say where the card game space is at because you know when if we just nail it down to the TCG and CCG space that's one thing. Um, So so kind of a two part question. Where do you see the TCG and CCG space right now? Um, And then let's widen that out a little bit and then kind of if you if you can expand on where you think the card game space as a whole is at right now. Where I see it is again it's almost like we're back into the late 90s early 2000s um, where it seems like we're almost in a card game tcg renaissance period kind of right now um so i just kind of want to get your take on kind of where you see the industry right now
2: yeah you know it's interesting i think it feels that way the most in trading card games Mm -hmm. and the reason i think that is because there are a number of games that just came out recently and then there's you know this year for example like five games that i've heard a lot of people very excited for um Mm -hmm. One Piece already came out. I know that like Grand Archives coming later this year. Uh, Battle Spirit Saga, which is a game that I'm actually finding myself to really enjoy playing is coming out later this year. Alpha Clash just finished their Kickstarter. That launches later this year. That's actually a lot of fun. And then everyone's kind of waiting with bated breath for what Lorcana gameplay is going to be. But the IP has people excited. So from a trading guard, it's card game standpoint, I feel like it, it feels like there's a renaissance there. But I also feel like the in a vacuum, that's the case, but I think it's really the result of greater global events. And so what I mean by that is, yeah, Flesh and Blood came out and found some success during you know, the height of COVID. But the reality is many of these games probably would have also come out sooner if that weren't the case, because it's very difficult to launch a game that's meant to be played in person when nobody can be in person. And Flesh and Blood had to find a way to weather that storm. And I think they did it as best as anybody could. So like kudos to legend story studios, but even though they were finding success, it still came at a cost, right? They had supply chain issues and they were having to like Mm -hmm. run webcam leagues and it it was just kind of awkward. So I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of the reason these trading card games are launching now is because they were probably in development long before. I mean, flesh and blood was in dev for like seven years before they launched it. Yeah. Right. It's probably right. the case for many of these others. And then they were just like, okay, as a safety net, let's wait till people are more comfortable meeting in person and then we'll launch. And so I think that's why we're seeing so many launch this year. Mm-hmm. But when you take that part out of it, the reality is as somebody who's played a lot of card games, I'll try almost any card game once. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been a steady stream of new games. We just don't mm-hmm. remember them because they don't stick around. And right. I say this as somebody who I, I jokingly say I've killed a lot of card games because there's a lot of games that I have covered or fallen in love with, even um, if I wasn't doing it publicly, games like that I've played uh, mm-hmm. personally that <clears throat> never found their footing. And then they just, right. you know, they lasted for a year and they died out. And it's been like that for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, Soul Forge is getting uh, the physical card game as well. Um you know, they were doing demos of that at the Indianapolis calling, but like that's a game that was around digitally in a couple of different iterations. And, you know, I think about games like Artifact, you know, that I covered and, you know, it was a big bust ultimately for a number of reasons. Um I, I could talk for hours on that, but like that was around and Mythgard was around and uh, The Elder Scrolls Legends. And so like everybody remembers Hearthstone, but, you know, there's... Even even ones that had like small impacts, like there was a game called Shardbound that was a hybrid between uh, like a tactical board-based game that was also played with cards, and you built a deck. and I actually really enjoyed that, but that never made it out of dev. So mm-hmm. the games are kind of always there. I think right. that it feels like a renaissance because we're getting a lot in the physical space all at once, but also something that's happening now that d- has not happened in the past or didn't happen often in the past is that we're finding more games that have success now. Yeah. So a lot of the games that I'm thinking of when I say like, Hey, the games have always been there. Uh, they're just not around now. Whereas guard games like flesh and blood are actually finding success. And battle spirits mm-hmm. is getting this kind of like relaunch as battle spirit saga after 14 years. Right. And it's going to have a lot of money behind it. And so it's starting to do well. And Lorcana is expected to do well. But even outside of those digitally, right, like Legends of Runeterra, it's not doing Hearthstone numbers, but it's not hurting either, right? Right. So where in the past, we've always had card games, but they just didn't always make it. Now we're actually finding some that even if they're not the next magic or the next Hearthstone, they're getting enough of a foothold and enough of a player base where they can survive. And so that Mm -hmm. feels new because that hasn't happened in a while.
0: Right. Mm. Do you think what do you think is the main and, and and you know like with all these card games that you mentioned it seems like the ones that have gone away gone the way of the dodo bird have fallen away for one reason or another it's it's not like it's a consistent reason why they die um so in, instead of asking why do why don't card games stick around i think a better question and a better Conversation to have is why do games find how and why do games find success? What is it that makes a card game stick around? Like with all the ones that you were talking about, that you know, there's a lot of people excited for for this year, right? What do you think each of them needs to do to find success and to and find long term success, right? Because I think success, especially in this space, is gonna be defined in the long term, not in the short term. Like you can have a great first year, even a great second year, but if you're by year three, you're dead you know, then do we consider that a success? I don't think anybody would consider that a success. So um, I, I'm curious, well, what do you think these games need to do um, or to have in order for them to stand the, quote, test of time, for lack of a better <laughs> phrase?
2: So th- this is a very easy qu- question to answer, but the answer in and of itself is complicated because... Let me just start by saying, if making a card game that was successful was easy, then a lot of people would have done it by <laughs> now, right? It's <laughs> they, far And that's what harder they tried to looks. do. And, and they there's tried a lot to of, do that
0: in the 90s.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, there's even now, right? Like, there's a lot of card game players that because they're good yeah. at a game, they think that they would be good at making a game. And, you know, they... Yeah. They pony up with the law offices of Dunning and Kruger and they think that they can uh, make it work, but they they can't, you know? And so well, I could make the, a great game, okay? Yeah, I, I mean, everybody can make a great game, but the reality is in order to succeed, there are a number of things that have to go well and sometimes they conflict with each other. And I honestly think that mm-hmm. that is what the biggest hurdle for card games is. So what I mean by that is, is that is that Sometimes the things that are best for your game are not necessarily what's best for business. And in order to succeed, you have to be good at both. Your game has to be designed well. It has to be easy to learn, hard to master. Your game has to uh, find a way to put a carrot in front of players. So whether that means through the card acquisition model, whether that means, you know, you have a robust organized play system, whether that means giving them a, a slow drip of content as opposed to big expansions, whatever it is, you have to give players a reason to come back and still feel regularly engaged. But sometimes those things are also not the best for your business model. So you have to find a good way to run the business so you can keep things afloat. And that doesn't mean, by the way, uh, that it has to be greedy. You don't have to be, you know, right. no friends to anybody listening, but you don't have to be Hasbro. You can be um, good at business and successful at business, but still, you know, find ways to treat your audience well. And then as far as the actual game design itself goes, beyond even just being like, you know, easy to learn, hard to master you have to ensure as a game, you have great ways to onboard players. So that means Mm -hmm. usually more than one format, something for Mm -hmm. veterans, something for newer players. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, they're not there yet, but I love what Flesh and Blood is going to test the waters with, with eventually this PVE mode, because there are some Mm -hmm. people who, when I played the Elder Scrolls Legends, for example, and I would talk to the folks at Bethesda, they would say, hey, we have some players that play almost daily, but they only do the PVE stuff, right? So like, I know there's a market for that. So any ways that you can engage players and get them into your ecosystem and then retain them. So it's not just onboarding, but it's also retention, right? So that's the care. You have to get people to try it, have the game be good enough for them to resonate with it, and then want to stay with it. And the resonate with it is important. So this is the other challenge when it comes to design is that um, card games, when it comes to like trading card games, traditionally the ones that do well are the ones that reward players through agency, but also through expression. So what I mean by that is, is that you'll have players that are like, I am a control player. I am a combo player. I am an aggro player. And so you have to give them ways to play the game and allow them to express who they are as a card game player, because we have been conditioned to kind of have that. And even if those archetypes don't necessarily fit your card game design. Like I'm a firm believer that I don't think like aggro and control fit flesh and blood. For example, I like to describe that game as you're either proactive reactive or you're, you're dynamic, you're flexible, but you still have to give ways for players to find their niche. Whether that's like, I want to block all day or I want to swing seven times in a turn, let them have different ways to experience the game and express themselves. And then, Mm-hmm. again with flesh and blood or you're now we're seeing it with uh magic they've realized how important it is with commander uh give yourselves characters that you can identify with in the game as well so mm-hmm. these hero-centric formats i think are going to have the most success i'm kind of curious to see how this is going to work with Lorcana, because obviously it's a very well-known intellectual property but mm-hmm. if they don't have some sort of hero-centric <coughs> format right uh-huh. because people love to be you know i'm I'm, you know, I'm a Mickey main, you know, in Flesh and Blood, it's like, hey, I'm a dash main and I own all the dash stuff. And then even with Magic, you're like, hey, I'm I'm an Arcanus player. I'm a Niv-Mizzet player, right? Like these are these are my commander decks that I resonate with. And I think that the more ways you give players the ability to express themselves, the more likely they are to engage with your game. So, uh, you know, I mentioned Alpha Clash. I see the Alpha Clash hat uh, in the the background there I'm actually a little bit envious of that Jim, not going to lie um, M- mine's that's a game mine's that over, I think mine's
0: over there somewhere
2: <laughs> yeah that's we, a we, game that we had ridge it, on it, it's not uh you know necessarily a well-known <laughs> intellectual property at the moment but I think that they understood the importance of doing something you know character centric right so I think right, that of right. the underdogs for this year that's one of the ones that I, I think has long-term potential um, mm-hmm. So you have to do all of those things with the, the design side, and then you also have to run a business. And mm-hmm. so a lot of games like to throw prize money up a- at the beginning to draw in the competitive players. And uh, that's great. But then if they don't make their like immediate ROI, the prize money drops in year two. Yeah. And players yep. will take that, whether it's true or not, they will take that as a sign the game is dying. And then you will yep. have them abandon it, right? So yep. you can't upfront overload it, um, but you also have to give them a reason to want to engage in those organized right. play things as well. So like, again, I think Flesh and Blood found success because they did the stuff with the cold foils and the gold foils. So that kind of... in. It's going to sound weird, but it kind of allowed them to print money, right? Because they could make the cards and the cards, you know, if I won a card that I knew I could sell for a grand, that was as good as winning a grand, but it didn't cost them a grand, right? So that's the business side. And so you have to find (laughs) that medium where you can do things good for the business and still good for the game. And that's the hard part because they are not necessarily uh, in line with each other. That's my mm-hmm. long, again, I told you it was going to be like a complicated answer, but it's not an easy yeah. question to, no, to it's not. approach, in it's my not. opinion, because there are it's so not. many that have failed and it's not because yep. all those people were bad. Like the only right. time that I think of a game that failed for reasons that weren't game related, I think of the old decipher debacle, you know, where it's uh-huh. uh, executive embezzlement and mismanagement. But like outside mm-hmm. of that, that's a, a rarity in this space. Uh, most right. of the time, the the games fail because either the game is bad or the business is bad and the other right. side was probably fine.
0: Right, right. No, I, and and I know what, I like asking that in question because I know it's not a simple answer. And I, I, lo- I loved your response and I, I really like the way that you kind of outlined everything there. Um, there really is kind of a lot of nuance and it kind of is, there's just a lot of things that go into it. And I don't think a lot of people, um, necessarily think about it. They just say, "Oh, well, it's dead. Must must have been a bad game." Well, there's a lot that goes into that stuff. Um, so you, you know, know you, you, you
1: go ahead. Say, he's given us so much wisdom with these answers. <laughs> I'm an and and, I'm an old man who's and, played a lot, and of games. I'm just like, and I'm just like, man, you know, I'm having a problem, in life. I think I'm going to ask that question next. What could help me in my next point of life? And be like, hopefully, I get an answer here.
2: I, I got right? you. I can help. <laughs>
1: Um so you
0: you 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 mentioned Alpha Clash a little bit. We had we had Ridge on Ridge Kylie the um the creator of Alpha Clash on our podcast a few a few episodes ago. Um yeah, Alpha Clash looks really really fun and I think the way he approached the design of that game was spot on. So I'm very interested to see how that game performs um particularly in year 1 um and then and then after that uh cuz I think I think he's definitely onto something um for yeah. sure. Um. So you you talked about Lorcana. I didn't bring up Lorcana, Jim. He brought up Lorcana, not me. He did.
1: Okay. All right. So we're gonna we're it's gonna definitely continue. not in your notes. I know it's not in your. No- I see it right here, Dan. I see it.
0: Uh <laughs> dang it! He noticed it. All right. So, so so, Charmer, what is it that has you particularly excited about Disney Lorcana?
2: Oh, this one. Thankfully, I don't have to give you a long-winded answer. I tend to be long-winded. I like the long-winded
0: answers, though. They're good. I
2: I used to be a a professor. I used to teach like programming and stuff at a local university as an adjunct, so I tend to be long-winded because I like to be thorough. But this one is pretty easy. Um, Uh I have two children. I've enjoyed card games for like 30 years now at this point, and this is the first time that... I think it'll be easy to quote unquote onboard my oldest because it will be Mm -hmm. characters he recognizes. Um, because this is, you know, Disney and whatever, I'm assuming that the game mechanics will be simple enough to teach him. Like he's shown interest in magic and he, you know, he says like, you know, I want to either learn flesh and blood or Pokemon or whatever, but I like, I was kind of waiting for the right entry point. I think that this is going to be a good one. So a lot of it is just strong desire to play with my kids with recognizable Mm -hmm. characters and cards, uh, but also because I now do commentary and I do coverage for games and whatever uh, Mm -hmm. the dream, right? Like if I could put it out into the universe would be to whether, whether it's host or doing, you know, play-by-play commentary, whatever the case may be. uh, The dream would be able to be doing coverage at like the Lorcano world championships at either Disneyland or Disney world, because there is no, like ultimate dad points that you could get, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) then, Hey, you know, I got to go with my dad, see him do his job. And we all got to go to Disney world. You know what I mean? Like that would be, Mm -hmm. I I would be the coolest dad ever at that point. So.
0: I was I was actually I've been talking to my wife about Lorkana and she's like, oh, so uh, they're going to they're going to send you guys and content creators out to Disney World, like for these tournaments and stuff. And we can all go to Disney. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So. So in, in your mind, also, I'm in the same boat because my kids, I've I've got two kids as well and you know i've kind of been waiting i'm like my my son is a pokemon fan so i'm like all right before lorcana came out i'm like all right i'm going to have to wait and see when i think the time is right to get him into playing pokemon but then when lorcana's announced i'm like all right this isn't even this is even an easier sell for for my kids so absolutely um in your mind what what is what is one thing that you absolutely want to see out of Disney Lorcana, whether that is like a game mechanic, something specific you want to see from Ravensburger, um, or even the community as a whole, is what is what is the one thing that you absolutely want to see f- come from the game.
2: For me, I think the biggest thing that I want to see come from the game is accessibility, because even though Pokemon is still kind of thriving, right? And it's got a younger audience. There's not outside of that. I mean, you can maybe argue argue Yu-Gi-Oh or whatever, but like there's not a lot of easy ways to onboard the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, if we can get younger people excited about Lorcana, get them going to game stores, get them playing games, then your other games will also see success and flourish because you're going to have the the new players diving in. It's much easier when you can have them, even if it's just casually or whatever, if you've got people that are not like put off of the idea at an early age and instead they're more mm-hmm. curious and you give them an avenue for exploring it. I think that that is, that is the best way to get the, you know, the zoomers or whatever they are uh, right. Gen Alpha, <laughs> uh, to, to play card games, because like that's, that's the reality is that, um, uh, right. you know, you go to events or at least for the games that I've been going to events for lately. Um, it's not uncommon to see some younger folks, but it is, uh, overwhelmingly folks in their twenties and thirties and, mm-hmm. and f- some forties as well. Right. So I, that's what I want. I want to see this as an avenue, um, for a younger generation of card game players. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, follow up. How do you think Ravensburger should go about doing that? What do you think is a good roadmap to to accomplish that?
2: I think that they need to really put a strong emphasis on local play, and mm-hmm. be very generous with participation rewards early. So if you think about a, a comparison, right? Uh, Flesh and Blood, your local play is like Armory's Magic. It's like Friday Night Magic, whatever. Um, there's oftentimes stuff that's for the winners, but I, I really like the idea of Lorcana doing something early where maybe they do still give something for the winners, but they always make sure that you get a, a participation foil or something. And specifically, they should be targeting the characters and the cards that would resonate with kids to get them to show up play even if they lose all night they still got something for it because again there's part of that carrot so like when I think about one of the many reasons that artifact failed mind you what one of the ones that stood out to me was when you started playing artifact artifact was a very difficult game to learn but also there was no login rewards there were no daily quests there were no reasons other than you wanted to learn to play artifact to come back to the game and so right. with artifact if your experience was hey i play you know 3 games and i lose them all and then the next game i play 3 games and i like win one and then the next ga- day i play 3 games and i lose them all like why am i going to keep doing that that's not fun so right. mm-hmm. i think that if you're trying to attract a younger audience Um, I think also like age brackets at some point, like kind of how Pokemon does it would be a great way to approach it, but you have to have the player base to support that first. Um, But I I think that that is a part of the plan, but I just want to see a strong emphasis on, Get people to bring their kids to a local store. and even more so in these early stages, like run what I would call parent promos, right? Like bring your kid, you both get a participation thing so that they walk out with something cool that they can you know show to their friends or whatever, and then you still have the excuse to like take your kid and and be a part of it. Um, I, I think I even think you could play into it. again, talking about characters, right? Like do father son stuff, do like a, a mufasa Simba promo set, right? Mm-hmm. parents get the Mufasa kids get the Simba stuff like Question, that does it have to um, be your kid or can it be someone else's kid that you bring with? well I, listen I don't, I don't I don't I don't judge um but you, you get you get the point right like I think that this is the important piece is that you want to not just target the card game players right but like the other piece of it is is how do you get um kids to ask their parents to come in and have the parents be okay with it now this is already an uh, an intellectual intellectual property excuse me uh that i think opens up to that right because you know your kid says hey i want to play the disney game okay sure that's fine it's disney it's not like uh you know, when I was young and I was trying to convince my parents to let me buy magic cards, you know, my father, for example, had a, a real problem because back then Unholy Strength had a big pentagram in the background. And yep. so, like, we yep. had to have the talk it's about, all, like, are you learning Satanism? So like, It's always
0: Unholy like Strength. It's think, always Unholy Strength. Holy
2: strength. <laughs> I think it is a big difference because
1: like, us now, us growing up with these card games, like, our parents didn't know anything about this right? Stuff, but it's now like, you know, for your guys, kids growing up, they want to get into card games. And you're like, yeah, I've been looking at this game for the last year when it was on Kickstarter. You know, it's like, sure, yeah. let's so get into it. I it's
2: think like a completely different thing. It is, but it isn't right. Like, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. But what I think about the most here is that you still also have to target the households that don't have any card game players in it. Right. I think Disney right. has the reach right. with their IP to do that. And so now it becomes the, like, how do you make it worth the parents' time to bring their kids? And how do you make the kids still feel like they had a good time? And so I think emphasis on local play, especially, you know, targeting shops that are very um, kind, family-friendly, accessible, right? The right environment. And then you cultivate that. And uh, like I said, you just go really heavy with the participation stuff early on, in my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. How how important do you think these large prize pool tournaments are um specifically talking about Lorcana, but also other tcgs because it seems like with a lot of new card games that come out particular tcgs they like you had mentioned they run these large prize pool tournaments and then you know either players expect that the next one's going to be a large prize pool and then they don't it's not a large prize pool and then they think the game's dying Um, do you, do you think that these types of tournaments are even that important anymore or not so much? Because in my mind, that's really not going to do much to the long-term success or health of a game. It's only going to introduce a negative, especially in that short term. But where do you see these, these types of tournaments, um, playing in these types of games?
2: Uh, so this, this is again, kind of a complicated answer, but, um, Mm -hmm it depends on the game and it depends on what your long-term goals for the game are. So games like flesh and blood where you're already targeting the competitive crowd as your, your first group of folks, I think that you have to have reasonable prize pools, uh, at least large enough to get your magic pros to consider playing in those events to even pick up your game. And I think that with games like flesh and blood, where the variance tends to be a little bit lower and the better player, wins a lot more often. Um, Again, you're going to want to give some sort of like reward for investing that time. Also, the big thing about flesh and blood when they launched was that it was an unknown intellectual property. Um, You look at games that are coming out this year, like battle spirit saga, they've already announced huge prize pools for theirs. They have 14 years of experience and history and whatever, but that's all in Japan. They're an unknown intellectual property here. They can't rely on that. And it's very clear that they are also putting an emphasis on drawing in the tournament players because that has been how they found success in Japan. They're trying to mirror that, right? But mm-hmm. for a game like Loracana, I don't think that the organized play needs to have high prize pools. Um, and in fact, they could probably get away with uh, little to none if it's just like entry into another event, right? So like if, if winning your regionals gives you the, you know, all expenses paid trip to Disneyland for the World Championship, and, you know, 500 or or, or grand to spend on expenses there, like, that's fine. You don't have to pay out, you know, the prize pools that a calling would for Flesh and Blood. Um, But also, again, with something like Larkana, you've got an intellectual property that will generate the interest for you already. And also, I Mm -hmm. think that a game like Larkana is honestly targeting the collector crowd and the casual Mm -hmm. crowd more so. And so if Mm -hmm. that's going to be your target audience anyway... I think that you don't need to worry about pulling over pro magic players or flesh and blood players the same way. Instead, you want people who are more likely to be uh, playing at the kitchen table. And then as far as like the collector side goes, you want people that are the Disney adults that are willing to spend you know a grand on D23 promos. So I think that that's a, a different scenario for them. I think it always just kind of depends on the game. Like what is it that you're trying to get out of your game and then you you go from there.
0: Okay. Um yeah, I mean there's 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 always a lot of talk and has been about uh tournaments like the the Lorcana World Championships being at Disney World or Disneyland. Um do you think that that is a legitimate possibility of happening for Lorcana?
2: I I think that it is because uh, again, it's probably going to be cheaper for them to do as opposed to just offering straight prize pools. But it mm-hmm. also does what I think this game is meant to do, which is get people introduced into the Disney ecosystem, right? You get people playing yeah. the Disney card game, then you that's send true. them to Disney World. And then maybe for, if like that's the, their first time ever going, maybe now they're planning on coming back next year because they got to experience it, even if they don't you know, win an event or whatever. It is... Also, I think an easy, great marketing thing for them to do that leans on, you know, the themes of the game, the location. Like, to me, I would be shocked if that was not part of the plan, whether it's Disneyland or Disney (laughs) World. For them to not do an event at one at some point seems like a marketing whiff. Because at the end of the day, your tournament prize pools, all of these organized play events and whatever, are marketing for your game. That's it. It comes out of the marketing budget, or at least it should if you're running the business. It's meant to get people to play your game and be interested in your game and engage in your game. It's a marketing expenditure, right? So something like this feels like an easy marketing win to me. So I, I would be shocked if that's not the case.
0: Do, I mean, so, so I've ever, ever, since we really started talking about Lorca,na I've been firmly on the train that Disney doesn't, Disney does not have a hand in this yet. They are firmly hands off. It's all Ravensburger. So that's kind of where I've been. Um, I'm kind of thinking that they're kind of wait gonna wait and see. And if it starts off a biz- a big success and it is starts raking in the dollars, then Disney will be like, all right, here we're gonna give you we're gonna give you money so you can actually run these events and then make more money. Um, I I kind of think they're kind of waiting to see how well it starts off. Um, Do you think they're already starting to pony up some money from a marketing standpoint or even from an OP standpoint? Or do you think they're that Disney specifically the Disney side, not Ravensburger is kind of ready to put or, or already has put money down.
2: I personally think that Disney has already put at least some money down now, whether or not they have the say in it, or if they handed Ravensburger X amount of dollars, that I, I won't speculate on, but I think they've already put money down because the quality of their like convention booths, for example, is significantly higher quality than any other game I've ever seen that has yet to be released. Right. So to, to be they, to
0: be fair, Ravensburger has been historically in the past, they do have decent they do have quality booths. Um and they do. like and a couple of years ago, Gen Con, um, uh, their their booth. Granted, they did have a lot of Disney Villainous products there. Was a nice a nice booth, it, particularly compared to other booths. Um, but I, I I wanted to make sure I threw that in there. But yeah, s- sorry. To interrupt no, you they.
2: That. I mean they they've got I, I think a good handle on marketing from their previous experiences with products like Villainous and so forth. But it's still. Whether Ravensburger has done it in the past or not, it's still not cheap to put those things together, sure, right? Sure. And absolutely. for an yeah. unproven product yet to be released, if it, it feels like they at least were given some sort of first year stipend for setting this stuff up, right, um, right, right, and and as far as like the event stuff goes, like you can offer a world championship at Disney without it being like an extravagant, you know, you're playing under the magic kingdom thing, right? Like right, it could be, right. at, you know, the,
0: just a the Disney hotel, like yeah, in one
2: of the right. lobby centers or whatever right. for the world championship right. thing. It's just the, yeah. the fact of like, sure. you get taken to a Disney world property and then maybe sure. on your off days, you get to take your family or whatever. Like that's still already sure. enough of a, a sell. I, I sure. really do feel like, they, they want this to succeed. Uh, the Disney side, I think they do want this to succeed because they have seen how well things did during the pandemic. It's no secret mm-hmm. that like Pokemon kind of right. exploded from the collector side and the prices shot up. And I, I know Disney and they were going, hey, we can do that. We should do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah right, right. And, and and again, I I think I I do think uh, Disney saw the success that Ravensburger did with products like Villainous. So they took their IP. They took care when using that IP for Villainous, and they did very well with that. I think Disney saw that and was like, all right, they're much more willing to do something like this. So um, now before before we move on to one of our favorite segments, the card of the week. Um, one last question. Uh, relating to Lorcana, do you think that because again we've seen many card games come and go Um many many have come and gone quickly thereafter do you think disney lorkana will be around for the long haul and will be considered a success after five years and ten years what do you think oh
2: this is this is very tough to answer right now because mm-hmm. i have that's, seen yep. no gameplay yep. like well, that's, that's <laughs> that that I mean that that's the actual answer. It, you know, if we're going like based on enti- entirely on IP or whatever, like sure. you would say, sure. sure, it's a slam dunk. But, sure. um, you know, I've seen games with very strong intellectual properties, like you know, the Elder Scrolls Legends. Elder Scrolls is a beloved yeah. be- beloved franchise. Uh, yep. Artifact was coming from the Dota background. You know, at the time, yep. Valve could do no wrong. Dota was uh-huh. beloved. Everybody knows the game. Everyb- everybody didn't talking do about well. that game. So uh-huh. intellectual property matters, but it yep. is not enough on its own. And I have not right. seen any gameplay. And so I, I would say if the gameplay meets the minimum requirement of being easy to learn, hard to master, and is specifically is accessible to younger audiences... I think that they will at least be successful for the first five years. Ten years, it's really hard to make it ten years in the card game space. But I would say if they can hit those two minimal benchmarks, they will be successful for the first five years. But it is difficult to say until I've seen some gameplay.
0: Yep. 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 It it definitely is. Um, and I, I appreciate it when, (laughs) when there's folks who, who approach it from that standpoint. Um, I, I mean, we're all excited, like everybody's excited. Um, it, but I, I'm typically the, the person who's, um, for lack of a better term, pulling everybody around me down, saying, "Hang on, hang on. I know we're all excited, <laughs> but let's be patient. We gotta wait and see what what's to, to the come because we don't know." <laughs> Diamond yeah. hands, right. Dan right. <laughs> to the moon. <laughs> so, all right. Well, with that, we're g- we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on to our favorite segment, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for this card. I know what this card is, uh, Jim. I don't. I don't. You probably don't know what it is, but uh, Derek, can move. you can you uh, can you tell us what is this week's card of the week?
2: So the card of the week is Nord Firebrand from the Elder Scrolls Legends. It is very simple. Not a lot of text on it. It is a zero cost one one unit and it can attack the turn that you play it. But this is a card that really resonates with me because I it's maybe the only time in my life. And I, again, I've been playing card games a long, long time, but it's maybe the only time in my life where I've ever been like credited with. Building an archetype. Like it's the only time I've ever been known for something um specifically. And uh this this was part of it. So there was a time in the Elder Scrolls Legends where um a lot of people said that you couldn't play aggro because of the prophecy system and that you couldn't like go all in on charge decks and et cetera. And I was like, all right, well, if if they say it can't be true, then naturally I'm gonna try to do it. And so I I built a deck that was entirely around Um, just playing charge creatures and swinging. And specifically the deck ran a number of ways to play or create Nord Firebrand, right? And just Mm -hmm. abuse them and buff them up. And so that, you know, it went from, oh, it's just a zero cost one, one, to like you're playing four on a turn that swing for five sort of thing. And it ended up doing uh, very well in a Mm -hmm. tournament that I played in early on. And then I was having a lot of success on ladder. You know, I hit legend a few times. um, And then somebody decided at the time hey they wanted to be the first person uh to hit legend in x amount of like hours or whatever they wanted to have the record in the elder scrolls legends for fastest path um and they they took a version of my deck and i had called it time to fight i had done a a youtube video on it and if you're not familiar it's time to fight because when you played the card in the game uh it played the voice line in fact time time to fight
0: oh my goodness i'm sorry
2: I have, again, this is the only time I've ever been known for something, right? So, like, I have it on my soundboard. I've got a a Twitch emote (laughs) on my channel that's like an axe and the the words time to fight, right? So um, that's why it was called time to fight. Every time you played Nord Firebrand, it would say it. And in my deck, because you played oftentimes four or five in a turn... (laughs) your opponent would be annoyed because they would just hear time to fight over and over and over over again as they die. Um, So anyway, this other gentleman took my deck and he ended up like smashing the record on fastest trip to legend. I don't think anybody ever ended up beating it because the games are very fast and it was an efficient deck. And um, yeah, so this, it was very hard for me to pick a card of the week because I have a lot of times, (laughs) uh, you know, had favorites from different games, different genres, whatever. But this is... Right. This is a special one for me.
0: Right, yeah. right. Uh, who who took that deck uh, to to legend the fastest? Who
1: was it?
2: Oh, you're gonna ask me that, aren't you? I can picture his I face, am. but I cannot remember his name. I would have to look it up. Ah, he's um, got a
1: forgettable name, huh?
2: No, no, no. Um, I huh. have a forgettable name. So you um, got no, so mad at everyone, for sure, everyone but... forgetting
1: you? You refuse to remember this guy. Wow, man okay
0: I think I know who it is but I can't remember the name um right the, like the, the name escapes me oh my word it's gonna kill to me fight. we'll get we'll figure it out we'll figure it out yeah I did I... not know you're gonna do, do the sound by the way i I, I, I totally messed <laughs> that up but my bad
2: no 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 you're fine like why would you think that I have it ready to go I have <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a few things on my soundboard ready to go that I'm like relatively known for, but that's one of them. I have that, that sound effect almost always on hand. And then um, there's like this old documentary or news clip where this dude's talking about working in a salt mine. And so I will often play that on different broadcasts. And so now I have that on my soundboard and it's, I've got the long version. And then I also have the short one where he just says salt is a way of life. Um, so like, <laughs> that's know, another running thing, but
1: that card kind of reminds me of patches you know, along with the the sound it makes as well. Well, uh, yeah. free nerf is what I should yeah. say. Patches from yeah. Hearthstone, where he's like, uh-huh. I'm yep. in charge. And he yep. comes out yep. of the <laughs> deck when you play another pirate. He's just yeah. like, get in there. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. <laughs> basically yep. it. Yeah. yeah so
0: um all right well that that is this week's card of the week I, i'm ca- I'm kind of happy that we that we actually got a elder scrolls legend card on <laughs> card of the week finally so that's that's awesome. that, that that's great so um yeah so charmer thank you so much for that um for that card of the week and uh derek can you let our audience know where can people find you and your content on the internet
2: yeah search Tan and grace <laughs> <laughs> no no not really um so i you know i use my real name for stuff i don't hide it so it's uh derek oswalt but derek is spelled weird this is part of the reason i'm forgettable so derek is spelled weird Weird. it's d-a-r-i-c-k um when i started making content i chose charmer because at the time i was playing league of legends and i was an RE main. um but Ooh, it's of course gotcha. not available in the riot client when i wanted to pick charmer so it's charm 3r So that's another reason why Mm. folks struggle to find me. But I'm Charmer on Twitch. I'm Charmer on YouTube. Um, The account that's at Charmer on Twitter is a dead account, but they refuse to give it to me, even though I do business under the name. I own Charmer.com, but Twitter still won't give it up. So on Twitter, I'm at that Charmer, Um, but I still am likely one of the only things that comes up if you search Charmer anyway. So that's the easiest way to find me. (laughs)
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for that conversation, Charmer. That was a blast, and uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to have you on at another time. So, uh, th- uh, everybody, that was Charmer. And, uh, Charmer, thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for having me. That was another one where was just, that was a lot of fun, man. <laughs> I was, uh, the, the only thing, you know, when Jim, when Jim left the, the, that interview, mm-hmm. I, Derek and I stuck around for like another 30, 40 minutes just hanging out, mm-hmm. hanging out and talking, and that was a lot of fun. You know, like, like you heard in, in the episode, I had, been, I had been following Derek's content for quite a while um, when he was doing stuff for Elder Scrolls Legends, yeah. and the one thing we didn't really get to talk about in that episode was um, his casting career mm-hmm. and kind of how we got into that. So hopefully we we hope to get him back on another episode in the future where we can talk more in depth about that part of his career. Um, But another another person in the community who is just a a fountain of knowledge Absolute knowledge. It was crazy, Mm -hmm. and my my favorite, Jim. My favorite also is finding these people who've been playing magic for a while and asking them what their favorite color combinations are. That was a great answer. That was the best answer that That we that we've had. Hundred percent, the best answer you could
1: even give to really a lot of questions. (laughs) Not even that question. That is true. That's true. I have evolved as a person. Yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, but
0: but even the answer of like w- what the yeah. color and then just how it pairs with everything yeah. else.
1: I'm really just, just so glad cool. that he didn't say green. <laughs> I know like, you are. <laughs> what if I evolve into a person that like green? What's then I have no – what
0: what has happened? No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't change man. I'm a stage. I'm a basic Pokemon. Okay, there's no evolving. <laughs> there's no evolving. There's no stage one. No stage two. We're just basic.
0: We're just basic. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, Jim, where can people find you on the internet? Your basic Pokemon yes, self on the
1: internet. Yeah. So you guys can follow me on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. I almost messed it up. Yep. Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at Jim Morgan,
0: You almost pulled a Dan and like messed almost it up. Almost pulled a Dan. <laughs> You guys can find me on Twitter at underscore DG Campbell and on Instagram at Daniel.G.Campbell. Campbell. Twitter is D- underscore DG Campbell. Make sure, pretty sure I said that, but I don't know. I probably messed up again. If you head over to our website, www.hobbiesandhappiness.com, you can find links to all of our social content for hobbies and happiness there. You can find links to our YouTube. Um, pretty much everything is stored there, and it'll get you where you need to go to find hobbies and happiness content on the internet. Well, that's what we got for you this week. Thank you so much for joining us, and we're looking forward to more people that we get to talk to on this podcast. So thanks, everybody, for being here. We'll catch you in the next episode. See everybody.
1: Take care.